best friends and introverts, welcome back to the You're So Quiet podcast, or welcome if you're joining us for the very first time. As always, I am your host, Chelsea Brown. This week, we're going to be talking about all things sex related, from misconceptions to what makes for a healthy sex life. But first, as always, we are going to do our customary mental health check. You're going to rate your mental health from one to five, one being horrible, five being amazing. I honestly today believe it or not, I'm sitting at about a five, I think. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling really motivated. I'm feeling like rested, even though I kind of want to go take a nap, but it's not like dragging me down. I feel really good today. So I'm, I'm into it. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what that's about. Uh, I'll give you a little update on my antidepressant journey. So by this point, it's been a few weeks of being on the 37.5 milligram dose of the Venlafaxine or Effexor if you have the name brand. I do not. I get generic. Um, it's been fine, actually. I get a little nausea from time to time, especially right after I take it and then in the morning. But overall, I don't really have any side effects anymore, which is great. I do yawn a lot, which is weird, and I'm not sure what that's about, but that's something that a lot of people experience, as weird as that is. But yeah, overall, feeling pretty good. I have an appointment with my doctor in a few weeks. I'm not sure exactly. This is why I put everything in my calendar. If it's not in my calendar, I will forget. It's in the calendar. few weeks, I think. I think it is helping with my vestibular migraine thing. I did start taking magnesium as well. I'm only taking maybe like 75 milligrams a day because otherwise uh, it gives me explosive diarrhea. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're only doing a little bit at a time. Maybe I'll start to work up. Maybe I won't, but I'm feeling pretty, pretty okay at the moment. I feel like the antidepressant is helping with recovery from a vertigo episode, which is very important. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty happy with how it's going at the moment. I will likely stay on it and I might talk to my doctor about going up a dose. I feel okay, but I think that the actual antidepressant effects might be more effective for me at an actual therapeutic dose rather than the lowest dose. So I'll talk to her about that, see what she thinks, but for the moment, I feel I feel pretty okay. I have an alarm on my watch that goes off every day at 8 o'clock, take my medicine, go about my day. It's not this whole big thing anymore. Um, I don't feel like any insomnia. I don't feel any of the side effects that I was experiencing that I told you about two episodes ago. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I have a feeling that if I go up a dose, I might experience those side effects again but I'm prepared for it. I'm okay with it. If I can get back to this like good baseline, I, I'm fine with it. So yeah, that's how I'm doing. Honestly, at about a five today. Don't forget that this is also your opportunity to check in with yourself. Ask yourself how you're really actually doing. Are you doing horrible? Are you doing amazing? Anything that you are feeling is perfectly 100% okay. Don't beat up on yourself for feeling bad. Don't beat up on yourself for feeling good in a situation where you feel like, oh, maybe I should be more sad or whatever. Like, no, just however you're feeling is fine. We're not judging ourselves here on the You're So Quiet podcast. While you are thinking about your own mental health rating, I will give you my recommendation for the week. It is going to be a TV recommendation. I did mention it briefly a couple episodes ago, 
but Love Island UK has me in an absolute chokehold this season. I am flabbergasted by this whole series. I need for you to watch it. It is absolutely incredible. I know other people who do watch it and they are absolutely shocked in the same way that I am. I will not give any spoilers, okay? But I think it's like episode 18 is when things really start going off the rails. There's an episode every single day. They do five episodes of like the contestants. Then there's an after sun where it's like a talk show format and then unseen bits, which is the contestants, but things that you don't see during the week. Personally, I skip After Sun and Unseen Bits because I don't care. I just need to know what happens next. But yeah, this season, again, has me in an absolute chokehold. You already know that I love Love Island. Like, that's not a surprise, especially UK. UK season is elite. However, last season of Love Island UK, I did not finish because I did not care literally did not care. I didn't see the final dates. I didn't see any of that. And I have no desire to even go back and look. Could not possibly care less. Love Island UK season 10 this season, I need to know. And I hope, I hope that they're going to do Casa more. I think this would be a really good group of people to do that with. They have skipped it in the past, not often, but I think maybe two seasons have skipped it. And it's a missed opportunity every time. So I really, really hope that they do it this season. Go watch it if you haven't. It is surprisingly addicting. It feels like if you're not a reality TV person, you're like, eh, I don't know if I'd like it. Just give it a shot. Honestly, from the first episode, it is a great, great season. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into the episode. We're going to be talking specifically about misconceptions and what makes a healthy sex life, okay? The first misconception I want to talk about is the euphemism popping the cherry. This, is, again, is a euphemism. It describes how for a woman, when you have sex for the first time, it's called popping your cherry. And this comes from the idea that the hymen, which is like a thin membrane outside the vagina, sometimes covers the whole thing, sometimes only partway. When you pop your cherry, quote unquote, you are actually breaking the hymen. And this comes with bleeding sometimes, sometimes not. But... There's this idea that if your hymen is broken, then you have had sex before and you're not a virgin. And first of all, the idea of virginity is super weird. Like speaking as someone who has had sex before, from the the day before I ever had sex to the day after, I felt like the exact same person. It does not change you at all, okay? And like as a teenager, I genuinely expected to feel different after I popped my cherry, okay? And for me, my hymen broke while we were having sex and I bled a lot, like way more than I ever expected. And the dude was mad at me because I got blood on the sheets. So that was an amazing, so good experience. Can you hear the sarcasm? But aside from that awkwardness, I did not feel like a different person. So the idea of virginity is honestly very antiquated and I feel like shouldn't exist to begin with because it's like you're not a different person if you're having sex or if you're not, you know? 
I do know that in some religions, I don't know if it happens currently or if this is just like back in the day, but you would actually have to see a doctor as a woman and they would inspect you like a gynecological type exam to see if the hymen is still intact. And in truth, there's really no way to know, first of all, if you had a hymen to begin with because some women are born without or if you broke your hymen during like a physical activity like riding your bike or exercising it's not a good measure and not to mention you can have sex if you have a hymen it's actually really stretchy so sometimes it just doesn't break even if you have had sex so this idea of popping the cherry is so weird and it's like sometimes you pop the cherry sometimes you don't that doesn't actually mean that you are or are not a virgin. Does that make any sense? Everyone's anatomy is unique and it varies person to person. So sometimes you'll get bleeding and you'll tear the hymen. Sometimes you won't bleed at all. You won't tear it at all. Maybe you weren't born with it. Maybe you broke it some other time. Another misconception about sex is that women cannot get pregnant on their period. And you can get pregnant at any point in your cycle, okay? And this comes with a caveat. So technically, the egg is only released during ovulation, which is about two weeks after the period. And that is when women are at their most fertile. So you would think that after or during the period when the egg is being shed and the uterine lining is being shed and you're bleeding and whatever, okay, there's no egg there, so we can have sex and I won't get pregnant. That's not true. If you have a shorter cycle, so typically an average cycle for a woman is 28 to 35 days. That's the whole thing, not just the period, okay? From from beginning of one period to the start of another is 28 to 35 days on average, right? If your cycle is shorter, if it's maybe 21 days, 25 days, and you have sex on your period, you might still get pregnant. This is because sperm can live inside the human body for up to five days. So you have sex on your period, maybe it's toward the end of your period, you have that week that goes by, and then you start ovulating maybe a week after the period that you just had. If you start ovulating, you are at your most fertile, and you can very likely get pregnant. This is why, in my opinion, always practice safe sex if you are not trying to get pregnant. And just in general, it's a good idea. Condoms, barrier methods, all very good options. If you are in a committed relationship or you feel comfortable, birth control pills are fine, IUDs, things like that. Birth control is always, always important if you're trying not to get pregnant. The pull-out method, I mean... It doesn't work, <laughs> sorry to say. This is because even though like most of the ejaculate will come after they pull out and they orgasm, men also have something called like pre-cum. So that's already like before they ejaculate. So that doesn't work. Uh, having sex while on your period does not ensure that you will not get pregnant, okay? So if you're not trying to get pregnant, highly recommend researching birth control methods, barrier methods, insertables like the arm implant or an IUD, birth control pills, the ring, like there are so many options. I have been on the pill, I've tried the ring, I've tried the IUD. I personally don't love how I feel on any of them, so my husband got a vasectomy. That is also a birth control option, okay? 
but you can find out what works for you. Maybe birth control feels amazing to you. Like birth control pill clears up your skin, makes you makes you feel good, whatever. Like whatever works for you, do that. But don't think that just because you're on your period, you can't get pregnant. Or if he pulls out, you can't get pregnant, okay? The next misconception is that masturbation is bad for you. It is not bad for you. There is this like urban legend or whatever that if you masturbate, it can make you go blind. Don't understand how the eyeballs are related to your genitals, but you know, whatever. There's a myth that it can lead to erectile dysfunction or sexual dysfunction, and that's just simply not true. There are some specialists who believe that there is no such thing as masturbating too often. I will repeat, some specialists believe that there is no such thing as masturbating too often, okay? They say that it has like a ton of health benefits like release tension in your body, you feel less stressed. And especially as women, I feel you find what you actually like during sex when you are masturbating. This is the way that you can try things out without any kind of pressure or any kind of feeling uncomfortable, like it's just you and your toy or whatever you decide to use. But masturbating is not bad for you in any way, shape, or form. It is, some would argue, good for you. I think it's good for you. I think it's great for self-exploration. I think it's great for releasing stress from your body. I just think it's great, and I think everyone should do it. (laughs) Next misconception is that your partner should just know what you like. This is something that we as people experience in all aspects of life, not just sex. And in all aspects of life, not just sex, it is completely unfair to your partner to expect them to know what you like. This is especially true if you also don't know what you like, which is why I believe masturbation is important. But I digress. Communication is so, so important for every sexual experience. So if there are things that you really don't like, you don't want to do ever, communicate that. If there are things that you really do like, communicate that. You can do it with like verbally. You can move their hands where you want their hands to be. You Whatever works for you, do that. But know that a sexual experience is only going to be pleasurable for you if you have that communication between partners. And it doesn't matter if it's just a one night stand. It doesn't matter if it's someone you've been dating for a month or someone you've been in a relationship with for 10 years. Communication is always important. And it's important to know that sometimes things that you like change. Things that you liked last week, maybe this week you're not into it, okay? So as a partner receiving and giving pleasure, it's important to check in. Like, do you like this? How How is this kind of thing? Don't, like, you know, make it overbearing, <laughs> but it's important to just check and make sure that people like things. I think the check-in is really underrated, If you check in with a partner, it is so, it like takes a second and makes everyone feel like, oh, they actually care if I'm enjoying this. The next misconception about sex is that oral sex is safe sex. And that is not true. It is safer in that you cannot get pregnant from oral sex. However, you still can get sexually transmitted infections through oral sex due to the exchange of bodily fluid. You're still exchanging bodily fluid, so therefore it is not safe sex. Okay, the next misconception is that you can tell if someone has an STI or a sexually transmitted infection. You cannot tell. 
okay? And sometimes you also can't tell if you have an STI because a lot of them actually don't show symptoms. They're highly contagious, highly transmittable, of course, through bodily fluid exchange, not just like touching somebody or walking near someone. It is sexually transmitted, so you're going to get it through the exchange of bodily fluids. However, you might not know that you have it. You might not know that they have it. So it's really, really important to get tested regularly if you're having multiple partners. And I've even heard some people recommend that you get tested after every single partner that you have. I know that can seem like a lot depending on how many partners you have, but it's always better to be safe than sorry. If you test after every partner, then you know if one partner, for example, gave you something, you can tell them and get it cleared up without passing it on to someone else. The next misconception about sex is that there is something wrong with you if you have a lower libido than your partner. This is absolutely false. Libido varies, or your sex drive, if you don't know what libido means, it is your sex drive. It varies from person to person, and it can even vary within a person, particularly for women, as we go through our menstrual cycle, that thing that lasts from 28 to 35 days on average. Different parts of the cycle come with different levels of sex drive. So, for example, when you are in your ovulatory phase, when you're ovulating, that is when women have the higher sex drive, the highest sex drive of their cycle. But there's nothing wrong with you if your sex drive is lower than your partner. Again, communication is so, so, so important between the both of you. And I feel like there's this real, I don't know, like vilification of people who either have higher sex drives or lower sex drives if it's imbalanced then that's seen as a problem. And I don't necessarily think that it is as long as there is communication and both of you are satisfied with the relationship. And the final misconception that I'm going to mention here is that teaching sex ed means that people will have more sex. And I think that this is absolutely false and it has been proven to be absolutely false. This is not just me saying this. Education provides information only, okay? This isn't like a study guide on how to have sex. This is a study guide on bodily autonomy. This is a study guide on consent, on how to use contraception, when to use contraception. I feel like these misconceptions about sex would not be so prevalent if we had better sex education in schools, okay? I went through sex ed in school and it was not its own class. It was so, it was so awkward. Okay, so in middle school, (laughs) I think it was in eighth grade, we had one day in our health class where we talked about sex ed and the girls were in one room, the boys were in the other room and I don't know what the boys were talking about, but the girls were taught abstinence, 100% abstinence and It has been proven that teaching abstinence does not mean that people are going to have less sex. It just means that I then don't know about safe sex. I don't know how to say no to somebody. I don't know how to provide consent or ask for consent. Like there's so many things that you just simply don't know about sex if you are simply taught don't do it. So providing this information to people, I think it not only will stop these misconceptions about sex, I think it will lessen the incidences of unwanted pregnancies, it will lessen the incidences of STIs, and people will just have safer sex. And not only that, it will lessen the stigma about 
having sex in the first place. There's always this stigma about like teenagers having sex and whatever and it's just it's natural like that is what like we as people are biologically wired to do so I don't know I feel like sex education is so important and it should be more than one day or literally probably one hour in health class in eighth grade okay so all of that said let's talk about what makes a healthy sex life First thing I want to say is that there is no magic number when it comes to quantity, like how many times you have sex. A healthy sex life does not mean like you need to have sex five times a week and that's going to be your healthy sex life. It varies from person to person, from couple to couple, and what matters is that each partner is safe and comfortable and that they're having pleasurable sex. So whether you have sex once a month or you have sex once a day, It doesn't matter as long as both partners are safe and they are comfortable. It's not like there is no magic recipe, okay? And maybe for certain couples, you can have your own magic recipe, quote unquote. And you're only going to find this out by communicating. I cannot stress this enough that it's so important to communicate what you need in the bedroom. If you want to try something new, if you want to have sex more often, if you want to have sex less often, if you want to stay away from certain positions, the only way that you are going to have pleasurable sex that you are comfortable with, that you are happy with, is by communicating with your partner. And I know that this is uncomfortable at times. I do feel that this is uncomfortable at times because of the lack of sexual education because of the different euphemisms for different genitalia, okay? I'm not going to say any of them because they all sound stupid, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because of all of that, we have a lot of trouble talking about sex, particularly what we want, and especially as women. It's hard to ask for what you want in the bedroom when we've been taught from the age of 13 that you should not want this. You should not have sex for pleasure. You should not have sex until you're trying to have children. I'm never trying to have children. So are you telling me that I should never have sex? No, obviously, of course not. But there is that gap in sexual education. And because of that, you kind of have to learn how to communicate this as an adult or as you get older because we're not taught how to do this, okay? Communication, so, so important. Another part of a healthy sex life is exploring your own body. We kind of talked about this already with the masturbation misconception. It is not bad for you. It's not going to make sex with another person less pleasurable. It is all part of discovering what you like, what you don't like, what you want to try. It's all fine, okay? And I think that self-exploration is so, so important because if you're uncomfortable exploring with yourself, you are going to be uncomfortable exploring with someone else, and that could be a barrier to having a healthy, comfortable sex life. Something that I see a lot on, like, social media from anonymous accounts is faking orgasms and faking pleasure. Do not do that. This is not going to help your sex life at all. You are only going to teach your partner that you like what they were doing. And if you don't like what they're doing, but you fake an orgasm or you fake that you like it, then they're going to keep doing that thing. And that's not part of a healthy sex life. Again, the tenets of healthy sex life 
are safety, comfortability, and pleasurable sex. You are missing one of those. You probably feel safe, you probably feel comfortable, but you're not having pleasurable sex because you are faking an orgasm. If you feel that you have to fake an orgasm, ask yourself why that is. Do you feel uncomfortable talking about sex? Do you feel like you're going to hurt your partner's feelings if you ask them to do something different? I will tell you that you will not hurt someone's feelings by telling them how they can better get you off. Promise you that. Promise, 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 pinky promise. But faking it is not helping anyone in the situation, especially you, especially your partner. Everyone in this situation not being helped by you faking it. So analyze why it is that you feel that you have to fake it and address that instead of continuing to have subpar sex. Another thing that really helps with a healthy sex life is foreplay. And I'm not talking about once you get in the bedroom. I feel like foreplay starts well before you get in the bedroom. It starts with text messages, phone calls, with little touches throughout the day. Like it doesn't always have to be this sexual thing, but it does put you in that frame of mind to be excited by the time you all are in the bedroom. And then once you're in the bedroom, the foreplay that we're most used to talking about can take place with kissing and touching and taking your time to get to the actual penetrative act, assuming that we're talking about heterosexual sex, okay? But foreplay is so important for men and for women. It's important to be in that frame of mind. It's important not to rush it. Like sometimes you want to have sex really quick and that's fine, but rushing it can often lead to less satisfactory sex because then it's not this connection that you're experiencing with someone. Does every sexual experience have to be a connection? No, but it's important to enjoy it. And similarly to eating, for example, if you rush through your meal, did you enjoy it as much as if you would have taken your time? No. So take your time. Enjoy it. Like that is why, that's the whole point of this episode is having sex that you actually enjoy, that you actually find pleasurable and kind of reveling in that. You don't have to rush it to like get to the penetration and just finish and be done. The next thing that we'll talk about for healthy sex lives is scheduling sex if you have to. And I know that that sounds like the least sexy thing possible. However, I know that you can get really busy throughout the week, you know, and you're nodding right now. You're like, yeah, I can get really busy. And what's the first thing that slips to the wayside? Sometimes it's your partner. If you have kids, you can't put your kids to the side, right? Because they are actively relying on you to take care of them and provide for their needs. But the only other adult in your life is your partner. And that is who's going to fall to the wayside. So making sure that you take time to have sex whenever that is. Like if you're comfortable having sex once a month, once a month is fine. Once a week, once a day, whatever. Whatever works for you guys is what should be scheduled for. But making time for that connection is very important. And I find that it's very important in long-term relationships where one or both of you are actively workaholics, right? I know my husband and I always make time for sex. And there have been times where that's fallen to the wayside and our relationship suffers because of it. We both enjoy physical touch from each other. That's how we show and receive love. So when sex falls to the wayside, that really kind of derails the whole relationship. 
because then you're not feeling that connection with your partner. Then you're not feeling that wholeness within yourself. And it's not even just about getting off at that point. It's more about the the connection, right? So if you have to schedule it, then schedule it. Don't not schedule it because you think it's not sexy and it should always be spontaneous because spontaneously, if you're like, ooh, I see myself in this, spontaneously, you have not been having sex, okay? So schedule it if you have to. And the last thing that we'll talk about as part of a healthy sex life is have fun, right? Experiment, take your time, do different things, try different things, just have fun with it because if you're not having fun with it, what is the point, you know? I'll say it. A third time, I think, safety, comfortability, pleasurable sex. Those are the tenets of a healthy sex life. And these apply even if you're not in a relationship. If you're having casual sex or whatever, it is important to be safe, be comfortable, and have fun with it. If you're not having fun with it, why are you doing it? You know? So go forth, take some of these misconceptions, debunk them in your head, take some of these tenets of a healthy sex life and add them into your life. Add more communication, experiment, make your foreplay start earlier, do whatever it is that's going to contribute to your sex life. And honestly, I know that not everyone is a physical touch person. I'm typically not, but in my relationships, like I need it, right? And your partner might be like me, like they're not super touchy, so you might not think that they need that sexual touch, but maybe they need it, you know? And Honestly, I don't think that more sex is going to negatively impact anybody's relationship. With all of that being said, we are about at the end of our time together this week. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you learned some things about misconceptions about sex. I hope you picked up some tips for how to have a healthy sex life and go forth. Have fun. (laughs) If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify takes just a couple seconds and it really, really helps the show. If you're not already, you can follow the podcast Instagram and TikTok at your so quiet pod, Y-O-U-R-E, so quiet pod, and I will talk to you all next week. Okay, love you. Bye.